This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where each week we preview and review all the big business and market stories from across the world with Oanda Senior Market Analyst, Craig Earlham. And it's a very good afternoon to Craig. How are you doing? I'm really good, mate. How are you? Pretty good. It's been a um, crazy week, really. So many areas to cover. Pre-COVID, we just talked about Brexit and elections, didn't we? And then it was all about the pandemic after that. And now it's both of those big issues right in the eye of the storm. And should we start with Brexit, Craig? I mean, talks aren't exactly going well, are they? The situation is almost surreal, isn't it? With a Conservative government, a Conservative government admitting that they're about to break the law. It's incredible, isn't it? I was so bored of Brexit uh, a year ago, and I think everyone was, to be quite honest. But given the year we've just had, it's quite nice to have something uh, to talk about again, which is obviously could be something that could be uh, uh, harmful uh, in many ways if we do get the no-deal Brexit. But in many ways, it is it does just feel a bit more normal to be talking about something like this um, compared to what we've been forced to talk about really now for the last six to nine months. But this week has been remarkable, it, it, as, you, as you say. To stand at the dispatch box and say, we know we are breaking international law, but we think we should do so anyway, is insane. Especially when you are talking about negotiating a free trade agreement with many different countries across the world in a very short period of time. To be at the same time saying to these very countries, we're not particularly trustworthy though, because if we change our mind, we won't talk about this with you and we won't try and uh, negotiate this with you. We will just act unilaterally and we will change our own domestic laws in order to undermine the agreement we have in place. That's an incredible state of affairs to find yourself in and to choose to put yourself in as well and to effectively suggest that you didn't notice uh, that this was not good when you signed the deal back in January. Back in January, we were being told that the we didn't need the normal amount of time for this withdrawal agreement to pass through Parliament because it was broadly similar to the one that existed under Theresa May's agreement. And now we're being told that they didn't quite realise that this technicality didn't wasn't necessarily uh, in our favour. It, 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 as you say, it's been an, a really, really remarkable week. And at a time as well when you now have Boris Johnson saying that we need to deal by the middle of October, which is when the European Council uh, meeting takes place, or there's no point and we may as well walk away. That's an awful lot of things happening all in one week. So it's no surprise that the pound has now had its worst week since March. Uh, And I think the turbulence is only going to continue because not only is the process not proceeding in the way that we would have hoped by this stage, even though I don't think we come to expect it. I think we expect what we're seeing to add the additional layer of frustration and the impact that that has on trust. That is uh, that is extremely worrying as far as the deal is concerned. It does seem now that no deal is far more likely than it has been at any point in the last four years. Trust has been well and truly undermined and it is at rock bottom at this point. What is the game here? I mean, we all know that some of those close to Boris Johnson like to game all the various outcomes, but one would like to think that there's some sort of plan here and it isn't as you suggested well they've changed their mind because they realize they made a mistake it's like 
buying a house and then wanting to, you know, change the deal because you find out the neighbours aren't quite so nice. It's a bit too late for all that, unless there's another reason behind all this. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a, a, a week ago, or a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm a football fan, and there was an interview with uh, Alexis Sanchez, and he said after his transfer to Manchester United, he knew after the first training session that he'd made a bad decision and he went home and spoke to his agent and family and asked them if they could just tear up the contract and they laughed in his face and it, it kind of feels like <laughs> it kind of feels like a, a similar deal here it's it, it, like I say it, it's all very strange and you can only really speculate uh, on what it is that that Boris Johnson and his government's trying to achieve i feel i feel like it's inevitable that this is just going to be the next embarrassing u turn and they decide that they can't do this because they need to build trust at a time when you're expanding out into into the into the wider world rather than undermine it so i do feel like they are going to be forced to u turn on this especially if they want to get a deal over the line you can only speculate on why they're actually doing it whether this is just a case of they realize they've agreed to something that's makes life more difficult for them or whether this is a ploy to effectively say to the EU we don't have much time left we're going to do something here that's going to make life much harder unless you sign a trade deal with us and we get this over the line in three or four weeks time in which case new legislation can be put in place uh, that runs in favour with the withdrawal agreement as initially agreed. It's a very risky strategy um, and it's a very bizarre strategy that's like I said at a time when you're trying to build trust but let's face it the Boris Johnson government is, is anything if not unconventional so it seems like they've really backed themselves into a corner here and one which I think many politicians would shoot, would not put themselves in, but he does seem to be a risk taker and he has taken that approach more broadly uh, over the last few years, whether it is with his own election campaign, whether it is with Brexit to begin with and even in his own government. And this is a man, like I say, who's not averse to uh, major U-turns and I do think that this is where we're heading. I suppose it depends on which is the lesser of the two evils, reneging on the deal or pretending that the mistake isn't quite so bad. But uh, there was some good news today for the UK in terms of trade, and that is that the first major post-Brexit trade pact was signed with Japan. That aims to boost trade between the countries by about £15 billion. International Trade Secretary Liz Truss says it's historic. She says it would bring new wins for British businesses in manufacturing, food, drink and tech. Uh, on the other side of the fence, though, we've got critics who say, well, yes, it's uh, it's good that we've signed a deal. But in terms of UK GDP, it's only a fraction of the trade that could be lost to the EU. Yeah, I think I think the 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 boost to GDP, I think, was around 0.07 percent. We're talking about very fine margins here. It is historic because it's the first trade agreement which we've actually struck on our own since leaving the EU. It's an important trade agreement and one that seemed to be um, kind of hitting the rocks a little bit uh, a few weeks ago. So it is good to have that over the line. It, to an extent, maybe goes against what one of my previous points about trust uh, when you're trying to negotiate trade deals. It seems that Japan doesn't see uh, the actions of the government this week as a major issue. Maybe that's because the UK has offered some kind of reassurance on uh, what it's doing right now. Uh, uh, which has uh, enabled this deal to get over the line, but I think it is a it is an important first step. Obviously, the 
the this is not the trade deal that the UK needs, though, uh, if it's going to declare Brexit a success. It needs a trade deal with the EU and it needs a trade deal with the US because the US was always the shining light. This is the one that they wanted. And if they can get both of those over the line, and I think they can start to sell Brexit as more of a, as a, as a much greater success. The difficulty you have, though, is with the actions they've taken this week, Nancy Pelosi, the uh, leader of the House, has come out and said anything that undermines the Good Friday Agreement will inevitably stop any trade deal between the UK and the US getting through Congress. So again, this is another problem that the UK has with this latest move and another reason why I'm so convinced there is going to be a U-turn on that front. Because if it jeopardizes not just a trade agreement with the EU and the US, um, then a, a, a trade deal with Japan that adds 0.07% of GDP to the UK economy is hardly going to be celebrated. Now, those comments from Nancy Pelosi were interesting because it kind of almost suggests a realignment of the relationship between the UK and the US post-election should Joe Biden get in because obviously um, Trump and Boris Johnson seem to be closer in terms of uh, political philosophy uh, than, uh, say, the Democrats. And uh, you, you couldn't imagine saying that uh, 10 years ago. It just shows you how far we've come. Um, let's move on to uh, COVID-19, I'm afraid, um, Craig. The new social distancing measures that Mr Johnson announced earlier in the week have certainly hit confidence and they look like they're going to stall any chance of a real recovery. When we've had some figures out this week, the UK economy growing by 6.6% in July and, uh, of course, far below pre-pandemic levels. But it is the third month in a row that the economy the economy has expanded. The uh, ONS, the Office for National Statistics, says that the UK still only recovered just about half of the lost output caused by uh, the coronavirus. Um, I expect August is going to be better than that because we had the eat out to help out scheme. So a lot of footfall around people going to restaurants and bars and pubs. But having said that, you know, this is short term, isn't it, at the moment? Any of this um, long term, we could see going the other way. Yeah, I think we have to celebrate the short term victories and be cautious about what could follow. Yeah, you're right. August, I think, is going to be a really bumper month. I think the Eat Out to Help Out scheme was uh, a roaring success. Uh, I think certainly the people in the hospitality industry have uh, the, the feedback as far as they're concerned seems to have been extremely positive. And the data that you see, people were concerned that it was just going to take trade away from the weekend. So rather than add to trade, it was actually just going to take it away from the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday through uh, and move it to Monday through Wednesday. But the, rea the actual reality of the situation was as the month progressed, uh, trade on the other days was growing, uh, even as the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday were the more popular days. So that suggests it did have that improved impact as far as confidence is concerned. Obviously, you then have to conflict that with, well, when you're then telling people that they're not allowed to meet in groups larger than six and you are putting further restrictions on, on parts of the country like Birmingham, uh, what kind of a mixed message are you sending? And this has always been the problem with this government throughout this crisis is people don't really know where they stand because the messages seem to be so mixed from one day to the next that it's hard to know exactly what the rules are unless you follow them extremely closely. And unfortunately, people just won't follow these rule changes uh, so drastically closely. The other difficulty that we have is the experts are warning that the winter is going to be difficult. And 
that we are going to see a surge in the number of cases and unfortunately the number of fatalities because people are spending more time indoors, because the uh, the temperature changes, because people spend a lot more time with relatives and a lot of the evidence so far shows that we're not seeing this necessarily passed in the office or we're not seeing it necessarily passed um, uh, even on transport. Well, where we're actually seeing the greatest number, amount of transition uh, is in gatherings uh, and small family gatherings in-house around the Christmas period when the weather is colder and when people are spending a lot more time indoors does pose a massive threat as far as uh, the spread of COVID-19 is concerned once again. So you have to ask yourself, yes, these the, the jump that we've seen in confidence and a boom the boost that we've seen in the economy over the course of the last few months is encouraging, but the economy is still 11.7% smaller than it was in February and we're now heading into a very troubling, uh, potentially troubling uh, winter period. Again, I don't want to be uh, the sp spreader of gloom, uh, the, the, the doom monger or any, whatever other words people are throwing around to try and undermine the, the warnings that we are seeing. But uh, I think there's the, the, the clear point here is there's such a long way to go and to go back a point. That's the reason why a Brexit deal is so important because the last thing businesses need going through what they've already gone through and what they're going to go through over the next six months is the barriers which are erected as a result of a no-deal Brexit. So that just makes it all the more important and why I'm all the more confident that we are going to get it. Yes. I mean, in the government's defence, you could say that any politicians would have struggled in this situation because everything is changing day by day. And uh, it would seem that what they've decided to do is where they can control the environment, as with schools, uh, you mentioned public transport, offices to a certain extent, even restaurants, uh, pubs, and so on, then life could continue. But they are very concerned about, you know, the behind closed doors factor where people will naturally mix and certainly mix between the generations. Um, can we go back to uh, Europe briefly, Craig, and the ECB? Uh, earlier in the week, left interest rates across the Eurozone unchanged, uh, still at current record lows. The headline rate remains at, well, 0, 0.0, and uh, continue to impose a negative interest uh, rate as well of minus 0.5%. It's all still very, very, it, I, you know, we used to say unprecedented a lot, but it seems quite the norm now, doesn't it? But uh, very, no surprise. Very unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no surprises there with the ECB's announcements. Uh, the only surprise really was we were talking about this last week on the uh, podcast and the expectations uh, this time a week ago is that we were going to see the ECB not necessarily add any easing uh, at the meeting this week, but the expectation was that we were going to see them lay the groundwork for easing later on in the year. Inflation turned negative last month uh, and all this at the time when the economy, the economic recovery was already slowing, when the number of cases was rising quite rapidly uh, in France, Italy, Spain, Germany and other EU countries, as we've seen here in the UK with travel restrictions, restrictions being reimposed. And the rumours at the time was that the result of all of this is that the ECB is going to be forced to ease some more. As this week went on, the rumours started to change and it became uh, it, started, it became apparent that what was actually going to happen is they were going, the, the, some of the data they'd seen more recently had improved a little bit, so they were a little bit encouraged. The inflation or the deflation was seen as being temporary, driven by things like lower fuel prices, etc., and that they were actually going to stand pat. 
And as this these rumors started to circulate, we saw the euro bounce back a little bit. And that's exactly what happened. They released their new forecasts uh, and the revisions were actually slightly improved on June rather than worse. And um, uh, and they said, basically, there's no need to do anything at this moment in time. And the euro surged on the back of that announcement, but it didn't last very long. And I think a lot of this was actually priced in ahead of the meeting because of the rumors which had surfaced in the days prior. And then we actually saw later that day, the euro reversed all of those gains. And, and I wonder whether this is just, we're at a point now where the, the euro, the dollar even, the, the gains we've seen in the euro towards the 120 zone, the declines we've seen in the dollar over the last six months, whether we are just seeing them a bit overextended at this point and maybe when whether we're entering a bit of a, a an autumn correction as far as they're concerned, I think that'll become a lot more evident over the course of the next couple of weeks. The dollar appeared earlier this week to kind of break out of its kind of uh, downward trend uh, quite briefly before stalling quickly. So I think the next week's going to be absolutely key on this front. And the fact that we are seeing the pound come under so much pressure uh, against the dollar and the euro um, could be quite interesting uh, on that front as well. Like I say, there's a lot of volatility in these markets right now, whether we're talking about everything we've talked about or what we're going to go on to talk about. There's a lot of volatility in these markets right now. So I think the the, the final months of the year, Add on to all of this a massive potential stimulus package, which actually failed uh, on a more slimmed down version in Congress this week, um, but is likely to lead to something bigger or a US presidential election, a potential vaccine. I mean, it's it's easy to forget that uh, one of the things we haven't touched on this week is the setback experienced with AstraZeneca uh, and Oxford University on their vaccine. It turned out not to be too big a deal and it seems like it's going to resume again. But the markets completely shrugged that off earlier in the week and saw it as the temporary setback. But again, I think that's almost symptomatic of how these markets are. They very much look to jump on and celebrate positive COVID news and, uh, if possible, kind of brush aside anything that's too negative. It's mind-boggling, really, isn't it, this period? We thought we'd seen it all in terms of Brexit, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Donald Trump, but it seems to be getting crazier and crazier. You mentioned market volatility, and that's certainly the case with the tech stocks in the United States at the moment. More big falls for the big names. Yeah, the Nasdaq at the time of recording is actually a little bit flat. So it seems that we've seen another uh, reversal from the open, which is going to be a little bit concerning. Um, I'm looking around now and you've got Apple off another 1.5%. You've got Amazon off another half a percent as well. I mean, the, you've got the Nasdaq now, which is trading back at around just above 11,000 again at the time of recording. That's down more than 10%, so we're in con uh, correction territory. That's in just over a week. I mean, that's a very quick correction. And actually, we were trading around these levels three days ago. So that correction happened uh, very, very rapidly. Um, Tesla is the one that really stands out here because we had one day when it fell uh, around 20% at one point at its lows. It was down 35% in about a week. Um, and that's bounced back a little bit, but again, coming under a little bit of pressure once again today. There's a huge amount of volatility in these markets right now. It was further exacerbated by the fact that it, it was revealed that the, the NASDAQ whale, the, the, the firm that had been buying all of those call options uh, on tech stocks, uh, billions and billions of uh, dollars worth of call options, uh, turned out to actually be SoftBank. Uh, the owner of many, uh, uh, the large investor in many of these major tech names had also been buying billions of call options uh, uh, in these tech stocks and effectively aiding the inflation of in these markets and the rapid uh, rally that we'd seen in these tech stocks over the course of this year. And I think 
that becoming revealed kind of undermined the rally just at a time when it was starting to weaken already uh, and really exacerbated the moves to the downside. And the way we're seeing things unfolding today, the way we saw things unfold yesterday with the late sell-off in tech stocks again on Wall Street, it suggests that there may be still a little, a lot more volatility to come and maybe even a little bit more downside, which is, again, quite incredible when you're considering the scale of the declines we've seen. But again, these aren't normal markets. The You, you look at, we've just talked about Tesla, 35% off its highs at one point. We've now got Apple, which is around 20% off of its highs, and that is a one-month low. A one-month low, 20% off its highs. Um, the, and, and you can see this across the, the different tech stocks as well. We're seeing incredible levels of volatility. My gut feeling is still that people interest is not going to go away. I do think that once things start to settle down, this is going to be viewed as an opportunity by plenty of people in the markets who are going to see this as a, a discounted stock, despite the reality of the fact that we're only at a level we're at a month ago when people were talking about them being overvalued at that point in time. But I mean, like you say, these markets are pretty crazy. We've got the Apple uh, show effectively. I think that is, is that next week where they're going to unveil the new iPhone and things. How is that going to generate excitement um, uh, uh, as, as well at a time when I think that the company may welcome it uh, and try and stop uh, any further sharp declines. It's going to be difficult. We, I wondered whether last weekend was going to, the, the pause of the long weekend may have kind of come at a good time. Uh, for the plunges that we were seeing, but that only exacerbated, that only accelerated again on Tuesday. So I think Monday's trading is going to be extremely interesting as far as US tech is concerned. Okay, you mentioned Monday, so let's briefly talk about next week. What should we look out for? So next week, I think the the key events is it's there's going to be a big central bank focus. Uh, you have the Federal Reserve on Wednesday. And the thing that makes that so interesting is uh, simply the fact that we had the Jackson Hole meeting a few weeks ago. The Fed announced, obviously, the change of its uh, framework uh, with regards to inflation. So averaging inflation at, uh, average inflation of 2% rather than inflation at uh, inflation reaching 2%, that makes a big difference because that means they're going to allow a little bit of an overshoot, allow the economy to run hot, potentially providing additional stimulus in the near term in order to try and reach those levels. So I think the meeting next week is going to be key to laying the groundwork for what we can expect to see for what difference that actually makes the change of that framework. So we've got that Wednesday, we've got the Bank of England Thursday, and again, we're not expecting any additional stimulus, but the increase that we saw in the UK bond buying scheme uh, a few months back, uh, it effectively runs dry uh, at the end of this year. So we are expecting more stimulus at some point later on this year. Maybe they'll uh, look to lay the groundwork for that uh, at next week's meeting as well. We've got things like the South Africa Reserve Bank Central Bank meeting as well. So there's plenty uh, on the slate as far as um, as far as central banks are concerned next week. And um, and on top of that, there's also a lot of data from Japan, uh, from uh, Australia, things like unemployment data, uh, etc. as well. So there's plenty on the uh, slate as far as the calendar is concerned um, for next week. But I think, like I said, I think the key thing for me is going to be the tech stocks, is going to be can we see them start to stabilise uh, and see that volatility uh, ease off a, a little bit in the markets as well. And, um, and of course, more of the same, the kind of stories that we've seen this week with relations to restrictions with COVID, uh, etc. All the, all, all the normal stuff, really, on top of uh, everything I've just mentioned. Okay, very interesting stuff. Craig, have a very good weekend, and we'll speak to you again in a week's time. Absolutely, thank you.
was the Oanda podcast from the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.